Welcome to Word on the Street, a weekly podcast from Barclays UK, where our experts help ordinary investors make sense of the latest news and events impacting the world's financial markets. This week, Jean-Paul Yeagers, Head of Asset Allocation, talks with Ian Steely, CIO for Global Fixed Income at JP Morgan Asset Management, unpacking some insights into the world of investing as a fixed income team and how high inflation and interest rates can create investment opportunities. They also explore what to look out for on the horizon. Hello, welcome to another episode of Word on the Street. My name is John Paul Jaegers, Head of Asset Allocation at Barclays. Today, I have the pleasure of being joined by Ian Steely, Managing Director and Chief Investment Officer of Global Fixed Income at JP Morgan. Ian and his team are one of the experts managing investment portfolios and everything related to fixed income and currencies and will be able to help me unpack the world of fixed income. Hello, Ian. Welcome and thank you for joining and making the time available. Thanks very much for having me. So a day in a life, if there is any such thing, how does an average day of your life look like to, for you and your team? Give us some highlights. So I think, I think you've, you've hit the nail on the head. There isn't any specific a day I, I would be able to comment. Every, everything is different. And obviously, depending on what the markets are doing, if I had to say what you know, what do we try to focus on throughout the day? Obviously, we get in reasonably, reasonably early, um, wanting to figure out what's been going on during the Asia session. I think obviously we're obviously focused on China in particular at the moment and everything that's going on there and the impact that that could have on the global markets. And then as we move through through the day, more of a focus on what's going on in Europe, the UK, and then often what we'll find around about 1.30 is US data comes out. So taking reading and taking stock of, of what that shows us. And then really throughout the rest of the day, myself and, and the team are you know, debating, discussing markets and trying to figure out how we should be allocating capital across the portfolios, really in, in trying to find areas where we think we can, can generate alpha for clients. Not an easy task. So fixed income has come into vogue after a long period of zero interest rates. Uh, we find ourselves now with very steep deposit rates and those are even exceeding long-term interest rates, which in essence is quite unusual. And in some corners, volatility in bond markets reappearing. What are the kind of views or analysis you and the team do to generate those extra performance in bond portfolios? Yeah, and, and it, I think that the big question at the moment from a fixed income standpoint is just what is going on with the global economy? You know, how far are central banks likely to continue taking policy up? And then that inevitable question that we keep getting over and over again and seems to have been happening for a number of months now is, you know, what's the what's the end game? Is it a recession or is it a soft landing? So these are the continual debates that we that we have when it comes to thinking about it from a fixed income investment standpoint, very much of the mindset that you need to be have a well resourced team and you need to have a consistent and disciplined investment process. When we look at you know, global bond markets in general, I think there's about $130 trillion worth of fixed income assets out there. So it's not really a market that just one or two people can focus on. When you're thinking about the global markets, you need to have a deep, well-resourced team. You know, we have a platform you know, across the US, across Europe, across Asia. And then it's continual dialogue and continual discussions amongst the team to ensure that we're sharing the knowledge that, say, the team in Asia have, and making sure that you know, that's fed through to the team in Europe, fed through to the team in the US, and making sure that we, you know, the experts in the individual fields are letting the rest of the platform 
know what's going on. And the way we do it at JP Morgan Asset Management is every single um, allocation, every single bond that we, we focus on, we put through three filters. We want to know what the fundamentals are looking like. We want to know what the quantitative or the valuation aspect is looking like. And we want to know what the technical aspect is looking like. So we call that FQT. And really what we're aiming for in a perfect world would that we are positive on fundamentals, quantitative and technicals. That's not always the case. And then we have to have a debate as to you know, are the fundamentals really strong outweighing maybe some of the technicals to whether we make an investment. But I say it's that consistent, repeatable process to make sure that we're doing best for, for clients and getting the right right trades into client portfolios. Yeah, so always your eyes peeled on the three pillars and debating that in the team. Yes. Yes. And you mentioned the vast universe in fixed income and in terms of team coverage. Then how do you think about or manage how you allocate across different capital structures and uh, and, and how if you look to your fixed income book? So we, when we think about the different parts, it's all about um, making an assessment as to where the best value is. So if you think our process going through those fundamental quantitative and technical analysis, what we will do on a weekly basis is we will effectively put all fixed income markets into competition with each other. So we will have our investment grade credit team um, discuss what they're, where the opportunities they're seeing. We'll have our corporate high yield team do the same. We'll have our government bond team, our emerging market debt team do the same. And then one of my roles is to really create almost a heat map of where the opportunities are, looking at it from a risk return standpoint, also looking at it from a conviction level. And basically what we have heard from the different teams, like where do we want to allocate capital to? You know, what's our broader macro view of the world at the moment? What parts of the capital structure do we want to be, to be looking at? But you know, the fixed income market is very complex. And you know, one of the things that I always, I always like to or like to pass on to clients is fixed income is a very different in market to say the equity market. Yes. The fixed income market, you buy fixed income bond, it yields you 5% today, better than it has done for a long time, it yields you 5% today. But what you want to do is you want to make sure that throughout the life of the bond, you're getting that 5%. But there's not the upside that you can see on the equity market. But there's also a lot of downside. Because if you buy, if you lend money to a company and that company ceases to exist, then ultimately you, you, you don't get a lot back, maybe the recovery value. So a lot of analysis needs to go into you know, everything we buy, making sure that we're very comfortable with what we have. And the way I think about it is that ultimately we are lenders of clients' money. We want that money back. We want it back with interest. So we do an awful lot of research to ensure that that actually happens. And we, we touched on volatility and how the world has changed coming from a period of zero interest rates. Has the world of fixed income and currencies become more interesting in recent years? You mentioned different uh, fixed income markets put into competition and uh, assessing the different risk return characteristics. Given the work you and the team do, has the world become more interesting? I think the world's become a lot more interesting as, as a fixed income investor. And if I think back to just a couple of years ago when we had zero interest rate policy or even negative interest rate policy from central banks across you know, large parts of the world, you know, huge amounts of quantitative easing. I, I spent a lot of time looking at the Bloomberg Global Aggregate Index, about $18 trillion worth of bonds two years ago had a negative yield. So that's not really that compelling an invest, a long-term investment strategy. So you know, not a lot of people uh, were interested in buying fixed income 
at the time. But what's happened over the last 18 months, we've had this unprecedented rise in interest rates as the central banks have tried to combat inflation, taking monetary policy up, which means central bank rates up and the rest of the bond market is repriced higher in yield on the back of that. And now suddenly markets are really attractive again. And if you look at that global aggregate index of bonds that used to yield about 83 basis points, so less than 1% to two, two and a half years ago, that now yields close to 4%. Now, if you look at that in comparable to what's happened over the last, call it 15 or 20 years, that's the most attractive yield that we've seen really since the financial crisis. So back in 2008, 2009. So we've come an awful long way. And for people that haven't liked fixed income, and maybe rightly so when we had negative yields, or the people who have been underweight fixed income, now is really a quite exciting time to be to be buying it. And so I, I think it's the best time really for 15 years to be looking looking at the bond market again. And a lot of clients are obviously on the same mindset and you know, there's a lot of interest with it. And particularly because it does feel, you know, we're getting slightly closer to the end of, of central bank tightening. Maybe not quite that there just yet, particularly here in the UK. But you know, we are definitely towards the final final innings of, of central bank policy, which means bond yields are, are looking pretty good. So that brings me on to the $100 million question. So you mentioned what central banks will be done and given the inflation, they have been ratcheting up uh, deposit rates quite unprecedented. Do you think inflation will settle in the near future sufficiently that central banks can take off the foot off the pedal and say, well, we're done with this hiking cycle? I, th- I think you're right. That is the million dollar question. And I think it's it's a different question for different parts of the world at the moment. And if you look at the US, then we are seeing inflation come down reasonably quickly there. And over the next couple of months, we would you know expect headline inflation in particular to to, to continue to move down towards probably a, a level that the central bank, the Federal Reserve is more comfortable with. Core inflation is probably little, going to be a little bit stickier, but there are certain elements of core inflation which we do believe are uh, lagging and will, will, will move down. So it feels like from a US standpoint, they're maybe further ahead. And that was evidenced in the fact that at the last Federal Reserve meeting, they actually paused policy rates. And, and although with an expectation that they will maybe go again at, at the next meeting, Unfortunately, that's not quite the case over here in the UK and probably also in Europe, but the UK is slightly, slightly worse. So we have got higher inflation and, and we are not seeing it fall as rapidly as the Bank of England or the European Central Bank would like to see it. But I think it is going to come down and you know, based on base effects, it is likely to fall. I think the, the real million dollar question is not is inflation going to fall, say, from eight, seven percent down to four. It's whether we can get it down to the two percent that is the central bank target. I think that's going to be more challenging just you know, in all the aftermath of what's happened in, in COVID. I think the other question then is, are central banks actually going to need two percent or will they be happy, you know, three percent and a view that inflation is slowing because they've done an awful lot of rate hikes we know that monetary policy works with a lag. It's not instant. They are going to have a forward-looking view that you know, the economy is going to slow. And you, know, you listen to Andrew Bailey, the so governor of the Bank of England, you know, he will say that you know, there hasn't been a full pass-through of all the tightening that they've done. And the central banks will be concerned about it. So I think we're going to get to a stage where inflation is comfortable for them. It's probably not exactly where they want it to be, but it's comfortable enough 
given they believe they're in what what they would term to be restrictive territory from a monetary policy stance, and it's going to have knock-on impacts as we move through the next few quarters, that's when they can pause. And then the bigger question will be, when can they then cut rates? And it feels really we're looking at the jobs market there. Are we going to, when when do they really have concerns that uh, people are losing their jobs, unemployment is picking up? And that's when I think you'll see the central banks do a real um, about turn and, and start easing policy again. As you mentioned, this the extent of inflation coming down. And so far, central banks have been, in that sense, like becoming more data dependent. So the horizon has been shrinking. So if inflation comes enough sufficiently, you think the horizon can, they can rely more on the models and projections. Yeah, I think what what we will what we've seen over the last couple of years is that the models were not particularly good. So we had the period where the central banks were very much focused on the transit or that what they believed to be transitory inflation. That wasn't the case. So they had to very quickly shift gears. And that's why we've seen such an extraordinary quick period of tightening of, of policy. What the central banks are very fearful of is a repeat of the 1970s, where the Federal Reserve in particular, um, they saw inflation coming down, felt they had raised rates enough, eased off, actually eased policy a little bit, and then inflation accelerated up again. And then we had to go through the Volcker period, which obviously was really high interest rates and a very painful economic experience. They really want to avoid that. So I think what they're very much focused on, as I said, is making sure that they really have got inflation under control and it's not going to pick back up on the other side. And I think that is their one focus at the moment. And I think they've been very clear that it might be, you might have to have a recession to make inflation get down to a level because that is going to be better for economies over the over the longer term. With that in mind, it might be premature to expect rate cuts anytime soon then. Yeah, I think you, you would definitely have to see, I think it's a combination of inflation being at or about at their target. But I think it also is going to be, uh, they're going to have to have concerns around the growth outlook, which is ultimately the jobs market. And I think that's one of the reasons why um, what's maybe confounded central banks a little bit is that you know, the jobs market globally remains very, very buoyant at the moment, whether that's through kind of labor hoarding in, in the sense that you know, employers couldn't get employees after the pandemic and now do not want to lose them. There seems to be a very strong labor market. And I think they would want to you know, see some weakness in that before they actually you know, go off full 180 degrees and start easing easing policy. Okay, very interesting. I think we can talk for hours on these subjects, but thank you very much for your sharing your perspectives and provide some insights into what into your world of fixed income. So thank you. Thanks for having me. And now turning to recent market developments. So if you look at the US, we see that inflation came in at 3% from 4% year over year for June. If we see, if you look at core, so that's excluding energy and food, we see it came down from 5.3 to 4.8 year over year in June. A little bit closer to home, we see that European inflation data is coming in at similar levels to what we saw in previous months, so plateauing for the moment. And a little bit closer to home in the UK, we did see that unemployment is inching ever so slightly upwards, so from 3.8% up to 4%. Recently, we've also seen that in China, they have been announcing some small steps to help support the economic activity and the struggling property market. And in amongst this, we see that stock markets continue to march higher, credit spreads narrow, and we see that interest rates are retracing a bit from the recent peaks. 
With that, thank you for listening to Work on the Street, and we will catch up next week. All investments can fall as well as rise in value, and their past performance is not a reliable indicator of future performance. This podcast is not a personal investment recommendation.